Have you wondered about living elsewhere after you retire? Well, we have almost daily. As you know, it is not an overnight decision. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about places to consider living in during your retirement. Hey, guess what, folks? I retired. Oh, my goodness. This July 2021. I'm so sorry, Jean. I wish you could join me in the freedom, but you have a few more years for that pension. I don't think you're that sorry. I am. Can't you tell? We embarked on certain for a new place to move for our retirement. We made a trip to Winter Park, Florida in February of 2020, came home and said, mm, maybe not for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then came up with this brilliant idea of doing a podcast to find out what others are doing. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. So why not connect with them and pick their brains? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil and grew up in in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. Oh man, I'm getting dizzy. <laughs> yes, I, you are. <laughs> thanks. I recently retired from my job practicing higher education law within a university. No more students, faculty, or staff. Whoa, this is going to be great. <laughs> I love the college environment, but what do I honestly love even more? Hmm, sleeping in, not setting an alarm, staying up all hours, binging crime drama, and silly romantic comedies, developing the podcast, volunteering. Okay, let me stop. More to come, people. More to come. Jane? I'm not Asian. And as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. <laughs> I'm sorry. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I've always wanted to leave. We've lived in Brooklyn, New York for many years and have been thinking about our future home. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. Mm, don't know about that. <laughs> We've been speaking to folks from all around the country and world who have moved to their dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Hola, que pasa? Today, we'll be chatting with Janet Christian and Eric Marsh of Valencia, Spain, who moved from Lockhart, Texas. And that's about south of Austin by half an hour. Valencia is the third largest city in Spain after Madrid and Barcelona. Located on Spain's east coast, the 2,000-year-old city boasts wide sandy beaches, striking architecture, a buzzing food scene, and culture, without the crowds found in other large Spanish cities. According to culturetrip.com, there are about 12 miles of long sandy beaches and more than 300 sunny days each year in Valencia. Gene, that's like the major majority, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here's an interesting fact. Valencia is the birthplace of paella. Oh, I love paella, which makes it perfect for a foodie pilgrimage. Now, also, according to culturetrip.com, for authentic paella valenciana made with chicken or rabbit, white beans and snails, you should visit La Pepica, a Valencian institution by the beach once frequented by Ernest Hemingway. Whoa. <laughs> so here's a little bit about our guest, Jean. Janet was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. She attended Thomas Edison High School, San Antonio College, and Texas State University. She worked in multiple high-tech companies in San Antonio, Silicon Valley, and Austin, including many startups as well as Apple, Motorola, and IBM. After one major tech bus, she spent a few years designing and building 
high-end koi ponds. Wow, so that, cool. That is really cool. <laughs> Her interests include hand-building ceramic art and functional pieces, gardening, and travel. Janet shares that she's happily child-free. She also has three published novels, two private investigator mysteries, and one magical realism. She notes the two biggest reasons for leaving the U.S. and moving to Spain were the American political climate in 2017, I got you there, and her health. Janet will explain further during the show. Eric was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. He first worked as a machinist and then attended Foothill College in Los Altos, California, which led to a career as a computer programmer. He's done a lot of contract programming work. The couple have also owned a music venue and, of course, Janet's pond building company. He says he's done with working, but might be open to some volunteer work if it seems worthwhile and interesting. These days, he's learning physics and astrophysics. Wow, what a thing to do in retirement. Um, He rides his motorcycle. Wow, that's interesting. In the Spanish mountains, does some Internet of Things, electronics development and travels. He's done some motorcycle racing in the past and still enjoys motorsports. Wow, you guys are both quite uh, daredevils. Well, the koi pond can be a little dangerous, I guess. I don't know. He's taken up skiing again after a 50-year break, but because of COVID, he's only been able to make it to the slopes a few times. Eric has a private pilot's license. Wow, this doesn't end, Gene, but hasn't done any flying since they arrived in Spain. In part, he says, because aviation is expensive and as retirees, it's important to watch your budget. The couple has spent hundreds of hours scuba diving, mostly around the U.S. and the Caribbean, but as far as the Red Sea. Wow. They own property on the island of Roatan in Honduras, where they had planned to retire, but Honduras became dangerous. They decided to live in Europe rather than on an island. So, Janet and Eric, we are thrilled to have you here. Welcome to Retire There. (laughs) Why did you want to leave the States and how did you decide on Valencia. It is a fascinating story, actually. We've been all over Europe with kind of a half an eye on looking for, as they say over here, a holiday home, a place we could come part-time after we retired. But on a holiday in the Czech Republic, we met a couple who could not say enough good things about Valencia. Um, We had not been to Spain because of the bullfighting. I really had a problem with that. So we Mm -hmm. had avoided Spain. Rosalind went on and on about how beautiful it was, how we had to come. So it was only a few weeks later when certain incidents in late 2016 prompted us to decide to move. Eric said, where do you want to move? And I said, Valencia, why not? So here we are. Wow. Throw my percentage in here, my, my two bits in here. Uh, That's part of the thing. The other part is financial. The medical situation in the U.S. has really started to become untenable. It's extremely expensive. Uh, You know, the services weren't so great. And I got to thinking that there just might be some better choices, Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, overall atmosphere, you know, it seems like people are living their lives under high stress constantly. And uh, one of the things I really loved about Europe when we started to see it is that the pace of life is slower, that uh, human rights are considered to be a very important thing. You will see, for example, in the EU manifesto, uh, human rights are written in, and that includes such things as having a couple of months of uh, vacation time. Uh, You will see uh, various nations 
investing money in the arts and things like that. There is a much improved uh, standard of living for people who are at the lower end of the economic scale. And one of the things that I really loved was art in public places. You know, it seems like we have a little bit of that in the U.S., but here it is everywhere. I mean, town squares here in Spain, you can drive around a lot of roundabouts. And if they don't have a garden in the middle of the roundabout, they've got a statue or something. Oh, so it's nice. a mindset. It's all, you know, much more, uh, I guess you could say human and humane. Mm-hmm. When I started seeing this, this for a while, it really became attractive to me. And when it came time to make a decision, I really wanted to give it a go. You know, uh, I love Europe and the South of Europe is even better for retirees because it's affordable. It's got good weather and they're welcoming. Mm. So Valencia has all that as opposed to other parts of Spain or I'm trying to figure out, I mean, Spain is pretty big. Did you do a lot of research and and how did you focus on that particular region? Actually, I wouldn't say that Valencia have, has all these things. I'd say Europe, uh, at least the EU as a whole has these things. Okay. Uh, you can go to Germany and, uh, you know, they have good vacations. They have uh, good worker rights. Uh, good health care. Yeah, good health care. Yeah, health care, of course, is, is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valencia has it, but that doesn't really distinguish it from uh, anything else. And when it came time to deciding where we're going to move, uh, you know, as Janet had mentioned, there was a certain element of, hey, let's check this out, you know, look it over. But we'd been looking already. Uh, We'd visited Portugal. We'd been to Italy many times. Spain, we hadn't been to because of the bullfighting issue. Hmm. Uh, But we kind of had a general sense of what we were looking at. So when we came to Spain, we looked around and said, yeah, you know, this looks like it may be the sweet spot. It just oh. felt right. And it really did seem for us like the sweet spot. Uh, we actually had a little bullet list of things that any place we were going to move had to meet. Um, Portugal came close, Italy, not quite as much, but Spain, especially the Valencia area, met them all. Oh. And it was everything from, like Eric said, quality of life, climate, food quality and variety, healthcare, access to healthcare. But it was also, less tangible things for us, like how easy is it to get to airports and highways to go see the rest of Europe? How welcome are we? How easy is it to learn the language? Do they have uh, opera? And opera. <laughs> we wanted to be able to have access to opera. And that was actually one of the things that knocked Portugal off the list. They really don't have a lot of opera companies and opera going on there. But Interesting. Valencia has an amazing company. So, Oh, wow. Okay. All right, we're, we're going to Portugal, Gil. I don't get... So many people we speak to love opera. <laughs> I just don't get it. I'm sorry. It was, okay, this will be the last opera question, but how long have you appreciated opera? I'm I'm trying to get a sense. <laughs> we married in 1989 and we've been we've had season tickets to opera since that year. Oh, okay. Okay. I've actually been on stage a few times in Austin and I took voice for a while uh, just for fun. Oh, so you're really into the music end. Okay. You know, Gene, I think we need to subscribe to a station and and maybe start listening. You know, we have Sirius XM. I listen to a station called Yacht Rock. Plays I love of- Yacht Rock. Oh, good, 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 good. You know, how can you not like Ambrosia, right? And 10CC. And as I'm driving around, it just brings me back to, you know, the earlier days. And, but- and I'm on the other end. I listen to the punk rock station. And it also brings me back to the early days. Right. But, you know, we have not been to the Met. And I think before we leave New York, we have to take advantage of the Met. 
right? Jean? You should go. We have to go. Sure, we sure. have to go. Before we're on the broadcast, uh, Janet had mentioned that health and health issue was one of the reasons she left the United States. Can you talk a little about that? I had become quite sick. I got sick in late 2013. It took until August of 2014 and nine doctors for them to figure out what was wrong. Wow. Uh, It shouldn't have taken that long, but it's because I'm a middle-aged woman and nobody listened to me when I would say, (laughs) (laughs) and it turned out to be food related pancreatitis. And it wasn't a food. It wasn't sugar or dairy, or it was food. Or as my specialist, the specialist I was finally sent to, he was like, Dr. House, you can't just go to him. You have to be referred to him. Wow. And it's troubling cases. And he's the one that said, there's very little food in American food and your body has figured that out and doesn't like it anymore. And I had stopped eating. I lost 50 pounds in four months. I was malnourished. I was in bad shape. So he's the one that first said, you really ought to think about maybe leaving the country. He even suggested that himself. He did. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. But he's in the States. Yeah. He he had told his own dad that is what we found. And I found the same thing. Every time we traveled to Europe, I got well. The attacks stopped. I didn't have to be afraid of food. So we finally, that was, yes, one of the big events that started us thinking about at least living in Europe part-time. I was on massive amounts of, when they finally figured out what was wrong, I was on massive amounts of pancreatic enzyme in capsule form so I could eat anything without violent, painful attacks. And within six months of moving to Spain, I was, well, I have not had an attack in three and a half years. Wow. Um, I can eat anything. I really think Spain saved my life. You had migraines as well. Is that right? Yeah, I had severe migraines since I was 16, which apparently genetically is also triggered by chemicals and whatnot in food. Dad had the same problems. I haven't had a migraine in three and a half years. That's amazing. That's wonderful. really is amazing. I thought the Mediterranean diet and all would be helpful, but I couldn't have imagined that it would make me well. That's, that is really, I mean, a testament. Is Um, is that because in Spain, you have better access to whole foods? Is that? It isn't just that I've done some research on this because I was so fascinated Mm -hmm. about it. There are over 2000 ingredients that are either that are commonly used in the U S ingredients as in dyes, preservatives, artificial flavors, artificial colors, all everything over 2000 that are either banned or severely controlled by the EU. Oh, the food here is quote cleaner. Okay. It just has less crap in it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't I know why heard, people need food dye. Yeah. I uh, heard one time that in the U S the philosophy is you can put something in a food until it is demonstrated to be unhealthy. And in Europe, you can't put something in a food until it's been demonstrated to be healthy. If you think from that perspective, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to reach out for all the preservatives. I didn't eat junk food in the U.S. I don't I don't generally, you know, like McDonald's, Burger King, all that. We we almost never, ever ate anything like that. So it Mm -hmm. wasn't it wasn't that I had a really bad diet. We were eating chicken breasts and potatoes and, you know, all that you would think you should eat. And but it's what they're fed, depending on what those chickens are fed. That goes into us, right? Exactly. Well, the other thing, what you were saying about preserving your food, the bottom line is that you just go shopping more often yeah. because stuff does not have a long shelf life. Yeah. 
Right. Which is which is actually better because, you know, we find that we go food shopping, let's say once a week, sometimes when we're hungry, we're shopping and we buy all sorts of things. And then, you know, we don't cook half the things. Right. (laughs) So my mom used to buy food for that night or that evening and cook it, you know, it would be nice and fresh to uh, be done with. So, you know, speaking of healthcare, um, can you talk to us about the cost? And in general, do you have easy access to good healthcare, you know, physicians and so forth near you? Basically, uh, Spain and actually a lot of Europe has a, you could kind of call it a two-tier system. There is a public healthcare system and there's a private healthcare system and you have a choice. Uh, when we first got here, we were not allowed to get into the public health care system, so we went private. Um, it was costing about 120 euros a month for me for basic insurance, no deductible, yeah, no copay. It did not cover my uh, medicine, but medicine's dirt cheap here. Um, in fact, I actually ran some numbers early on, and I found that in general, it seems like the cost of health care and medicine here runs about one eighth of what it was costing in the U.S. Wow. wow. And today's, yeah. um, as of today, the euro is worth a dollar sixteen in the U.S. Just for the audience's uh, context. And today okay. we, we're recording on October sixteenth, mid October. We're in. Okay. So, so, so my insurance was a little more than his because I had some more health issues. Although my pancreatitis was not covered, I paid for that out of pocket. But I can add a little note on that too. But my policy was about one eighty a month, but still no deductible, no copay, and as for drug costs. In the U.S., my Creon, which is the pancreatitis drug, was $1,900 a month. Oh, oh my gosh. goodness. And until I met my 7680 deductible, yeah. that was out of pocket. Wow. So yeah. when we moved to Spain and I asked the local pharmacist, can I get this? First off, because it's a very specialized drug. And she looked it up and said, yes, it was available. Oh, it's very expensive. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what? And she said, it's 150 <laughs> Wow. I 150 left. versus 1900. Yeah. And when I told her what I was paying in the US, she didn't believe me. She thought I was lying. So it was no problem to spend a year or actually six months because then I got, well, paying for that out of pocket. That's incredible. Eventually, what we did was uh, we moved from the private system onto the public system with what's called a convenia especial in the Valencia. At first, if you're under 65, it costs uh, 60 euro a month. When you hit uh, 65, it jumps up to 158. But uh, the nice thing about this is if you get sick, they can't kick you off. And they won't ever raise you. We will be 158 from now on. Yeah, for a while. Okay. Uh, The nice thing about it is that we have a doctor in the little village a kilometer from us. Generally, I can get an appointment uh, within a couple hours. I walk down there. Actually, I can use an app on my phone, you know, schedule an appointment, uh, walk in. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, the language barrier can make things a little bit, uh, you know, more difficult, but we always manage. In terms of the overall quality of care, according to the World Health Organization, Spain is listed at number seven in the world, where the U.S. is uh, listed at number 37. Whoa. (laughs) That's amazing. That is amazing. Well, maybe that excludes the Upper East Side. All right. Upper East Side of Manhattan, where I would trust my life to uh, what some people call bedpan alley. Yes. (laughs) This is kind of a answer to more medical stuff, but also brings back that whole quality of life thing. And it, it actually does go back to the Franco era, but it was a very good thing 
that happened, every village over a couple of hundred people, every village was mandated to have a doctor, a dentist, a pharmacy, a sports center, a public swimming pool, and a casa de cultura, a house of culture. If the village was too small to support all that, the government subsidizes it. So even though our little village has a thousand people in it, we have a doctor, a dentist, a pharmacy, and we have a house of culture that regularly does free. We've seen everything from flamenco to big band American style. (laughs) Oh, and tango. (laughs) Oh, and tango. What does your status have to be to get the the public health public health care? It's called convenio especial. It was originally if you are self-employed in Spain, that's what they called the part you were paying into to get health care. It's kind of like paying into Social Security. Last year or two years ago, they changed the laws so that non-self-employed people, people like us that are just here living retired, mm-hmm. didn't have to pay self-employment tax. We could just pay the convenio especial part of it, the Social Security contribution part of it. Uh, okay. And so that's what that is. Yeah, basically what happened is that the Spanish government decided that healthcare is an inalienable human right that all people need to have. Every uh, region needs to find a way to provide that. And the convenio especial is the method that was uh, approved in Comunidad Valentia. Other uh, regions may have their own solution. Like say, the important thing is that there are basic human rights and healthcare is considered to be one of them. And how long do you have to live in Spain to get that status? Well, um, the first year as a non-EU resident, the first year you're required to have private insurance as part of your resident visa. And at the end of the first year, you can apply for the convenio especial. And so that's what we did. We are coming on five years of residency now, at which point we can then apply to become permanent residents, which just means we don't have to prove our financial viability and do a police check every so often <laughs> at the five-year point all we have to do after that is just prove we still live here okay a police check you hear that kill you you'd be in trouble fingerprints and all i'm ready i'm ready okay <laughs> yeah the biggest things an american citizen has to sh- has to show in order to get a resident visa in spain is you have to show financial viability if you're coming in as a retiree um So you have to show financial valuability. You don't have to work here. They won't let you work here. So you have to have enough money to live on. You have to have a a background check and prove that you're not running from the law. And you have to have a medical certificate from your doctor that says you're not carrying any communicable diseases like yellow fever. Right, right, right. Financial viability. How much are we talking here Mm -hmm. approximately? Well, it changed. Of course, you know, everything can change. Uh, sure, who knows sure. what will be next year? But in rough numbers, uh, the first member in the household uh, has to have about uh, 26,000 euros a year. And then each additional member has to have another 600. Oh, I think it's gone up since we filed, but it's it's along those lines. You have to verify through documentation, I guess, either through, well, for some people, Social Security, right, or your investments or your your savings, deposits, uh, bank statements, checking statements, savings, 401k, they accept any proof. It's not any one. It can be a combination. Okay. So this segues right perfectly into 
Questions around banking and accounts. Do you have accounts back in the U.S. or did you sever those financial ties? I mean, you have your Social Security, right? I assume you're you're collecting. And so what what is the norm, I would say, or what are you doing? I don't know about the norm, but what we do is we do have our bank back in the U.S., you know, so that, uh, you know, we can manage all financial transition uh, transactions, I'm sorry, uh, in the U.S. We have uh, you know some rental property. And of course, you know, we have to be able to uh, write checks to pay for, you know, work that needs to be done and all the rest of it. Uh, we have a bank account here in Spain, which is absolutely essential. You cannot survive here without a bank account. Um, the, the system is different here. Whenever you apply for a service, let's say your electricity, your water, or almost anything else, what you do is you give them your bank number. At the end of each month, they just take the money out of your account, uh-huh. which, you know, it's kind of nice. Uh, you don't have to go writing checks and paying bills and all that. Yeah, type nobody of writes checks here. Every um, Even our little neighborhood owners association is like 25 euro a year. It's done by a direct bank transfer. Americans have to get you. We had to get used to that. You have to get used to giving people like the little lady that lives three blocks from you, your bank number so that she can withdraw 25 euro. (laughs) You have to be comfortable with that. But it's also important to realize banks here have multi levels of security. Nobody can go in and just empty your account. Um, it's bank to bank, not person to person. You know why the money's being pulled is verified. So it is very secure, but it's also very different. Yeah. Also, it's worth mentioning you asked about Social Security. Our Social Security benefits are deposited directly into our Spanish account. The government gives us the best possible exchange rate when they do that. Oh. Uh, U.S. Embassy in Madrid takes care of all that for us. Um, the other thing is, and I don't normally like to uh, drop names, but in this case, I will. And I use Wise, it used to be TransferWise, a lot when I need to you know, move a little bit of money back and forth. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It is not only uh, useful for, let's say, moving my American money to my Spanish account, but I've got a, a Wise debit card and I can use any currency worldwide. So we travel mm-hmm. a lot. Ah. Let's say if I'm going to Poland, uh, I will move some euros or some dollars into the Polish currency. And then I just, you know, give my credit card and it's kind of like I have a uh, Polish currency credit card. That's nice. And back to banking, was it difficult to get a bank account in Spain? We originally opened our account with our passports because we we had to have an account in April of 2017 when we were here on our house hunting trip ah. in order to get all of that process started. So we didn't have you in. There's a, a number, it's called your NIA that you are assigned when you become a resident. And it's the equivalent of a social security number. It's your ID number. And we didn't have those yet. So we opened the bank with a passport number. Now I've been told this year, you can't do that. You have to have a NIA to open a bank account. Uh, You can get a NIA through like a local attorney can help you get it. There's forms you fill out. And yeah, at that time we were uh, basically opening what they call a non-resident bank account. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's something that uh, you can have to look into and find out what the current status is. After we'd been here for a while, we transitioned from non-resident to a resident account. And do you need to carry cash around? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always, uh, you know, keep a little bit in my pocket. Um, You know, it's good if I'm going to maybe a cafe for a coffee or something. Mm -hmm. But I use a card a lot, too. Okay. So many people have used the card for everything. It's debit card and... They just bring a little portable reader to your table. Your card never leaves your hand. You tap your card on the portable reader. If it's under 
50 euro, it just automatically processes. If it's over 50 euro, you have to put in a pin. And so it's very convenient and very easy. They, they you say you're ready to pay the bill. They bring the little machine, you go boop and you're done. That's right, great. Right. What's the cost of living there and in terms of houses or renting? Can you tell us a little about that? We purchased immediately simply because we brought our four large dogs and a bunch of cats over and we, you know, we needed a place. Um, so I can't really comment. I have read things online saying that you can get, you know, a flat from maybe 500 euros going up, but, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, secondhand information. Mm -hmm. uh, the general cost of living, it's really kind of a funny thing, but the cost of living seems to have to have some sort of a direct correlation with how much money you have at hand. You know, the Social Security benefits tend to get spent every month. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure if they were smaller, then there would be less being spent. I mean, um, a, good, a good budget if you like to travel, like we like to travel and we want, yes, yesterday we got an email from Ryanair, which is our local low cost airline mm -hmm. with airfare from eight euro up. And so we, we, wow. eight euro on eight euro. We spontaneously booked a trip to Bari, Italy, which we'd never even heard of before to see an opera, which we'd never heard of before. Um, <laughs> we can do that because we have budgeted into our lifestyle for that kind of thing. So for us, it'd be say 2,500 a month is a good round number to give you a comfortable lifestyle and spontaneous travel. But I have friends who live on close to half of that. I mean, they, wow. they cook all their own food. They don't, they don't travel. They're perfectly happy with their lifestyle here in Spain. They don't need to travel. So a lot, Eric's right. A lot depends on what you're looking for in a lifestyle. Yeah. I think she said 2,500 a month and we'd be talking euros, of course, you know, so it's going to cost mm -hmm. a little bit more in terms of yeah. dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, I find to give you something a little bit more specific, as a general rule, uh, we spend about 120 euro a week at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, gasoline is expensive here. Um, by U.S. standards, it would be about uh, $6 to $6.50 a gallon. Um, wow. Pay for it, uh, you know, by the liter. So a liter of gasoline will, you know, typically cost a euro 30 to a euro 50 or euro 45 right mm -hmm. now. Okay. Um, if you drive a lot, that's going to be expensive. If you don't own a car, you know, if you're relying on public transportation, you're saving quite a bit of money right there. Um, we've already discussed, uh, you know, the cost of uh, health care. Um, our electric bill and our water bills tend to be on the high end. I've seen some people that have said they can get by with 80 euro a month, but Janet's uh, I have got a flower a, garden. Yeah, she's got a kiln and a <laughs> garden and these things use a lot of juice so yeah my pottery is, kiln ours is pretty i love expensive. that um you know plus yeah. we uh when we get cold we turn the heat on and when we get hot we turn the air conditioning on <laughs> right our bills are a little bit higher i think than, than a lot of people just uh for fun uh you know and this is maybe a little bit off you know the basic topic but uh, janet had uh, mentioned our trip to bari airfare for the two of us round trip uh you know from valentia to uh, bari uh, ended up costing 140 euro wow. four nights uh, in to total, not e that not wow. each. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Each, uh, hotel uh, in Old Town is costing about 240. You know, the opera tickets are 55 euro each. You can eat at uh, corner cafes very, very affordably. In fact, uh, here they have got something uh, called a menu del dia, uh, the menu of the day. It typically will have two courses, um, a drink, a uh, dessert, and uh, the going price tends to be somewhere between maybe uh, 
nine and a half and 12 and a half euro. Wow. That's only for lunch though, right? Or is it? Yeah, but lunch is our big meal of the day. Lunch is the big uh-huh. meal. Uh, okay. Wow. So, so you never big... have to cook again if you don't want to. <laughs> if you didn't want to, no. Now, of course, you can spend more. You can spend less. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Sure. I mean, if you if you spend about 120 a week for groceries, I assume mm-hmm. that's that could cover the meals too. Some of your meals, right? So you do cook some at home. Okay. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. But I mean, if if because one of my dreams is to not have to cook. <laughs> I mean, we do a lot of takeout now and we do a lot of, well, we eat out a lot because we, we claim we're stressed, you know, like after the recording of an episode, we'll say, let's go out and celebrate. <laughs> and so we do a lot of celebrations. So I think if we moved, uh, we'd be doing even more celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> and food here is very affordable. Like our little, our local cafe in Barch, they hand toss pizza and you can get a what 12 14 inch pizza six euro oh six wow euro. wow wow we're paying <laughs> like 18 dollars yeah five toppings yeah but, but, but you say your monthly um costs are around 2500 euros a month uh but i assume you paid cash for your house yeah yeah we did pay okay. cash for the house oh that's and, right you're you you bought your house right away correct yeah. Right. Okay. And 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 you got a car right away, from what I recall. You're debt free with that. You don't have a mortgage or. Essentially, yes. I mean, we have uh, income taxes because we are paying income taxes on our Social Security benefits. All oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a um, dual taxation treaty between Spain and the U.S. So any money that you spend on taxes in one country is deducted from the other country. Um, but it's going to cost you a little bit more. The tax rates are higher. I consider that to be, you know, just the price of being here. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, uh, for example, in uh, uh, Lockhart, we had a small rental house. Annual uh, property taxes were about thirty-two hundred a month. I'm sorry, a year. Oh. And here they are about seven hundred and fifty a year. You know, a, a year. year. Wow! Wow! Yeah. That's nice. That's great. Because even at even at thirty-two hundred, it's very nice. Yeah. I mean, especially for Texas, right? I mean, ours is about, we pay about seven, seven to 8,000 a year. Um, oh, yeah. Property taxes in a city like Austin can be mm-hmm. 10 or 12,000. Right. So I would say I get in these conversations online with people saying, well, I can't afford to live there because of the taxes. I'm like, but your health care, property taxes, and your general cost of living are so much less, you probably will still net. We come out ahead, even though we pay more in taxes. Right, right, right. Now, I remember in our earlier conversation, in terms of housing, mm-hmm. in our earlier conversation, you had mentioned Nick Snelling. I understand he's a realtor, and also he's a host on, is it HGTV's House Hunters International? Yes. We found him when we decided to move. I started looking online at properties. There's Spain is weird with properties. There's no multiple listing service. There are just various property listing sites and you go out and you start searching. And I was seeing things that looked interesting, but I, of course, didn't know how to go, how to arrange to see them when we came over. Then I got curious at the simultaneously because I was a writer and I had a writer's group in Lockhart that I was going to be giving up. I got curious, are there any writer's groups Ah. in the area we're thinking of moving to? And that's how I found Nick because he is a writer. He's written several fiction books, but he also wrote a book called 
how to buy property and move to Spain safely. Mm -hmm. So I downloaded his book and we both read it. And then I realized he was a realtor in this area and I contacted Mm -hmm. him. And that's actually how we originally hooked up with him. And he wasn't at the time the house hunters host, but he is our realtor host, but he is Mm -hmm. now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to catching some of those episodes. So he was able to verify whether we, we understand in Spain, in certain areas that you may not get a deed title to the property because, say, because you don't know who the owner actually is. Yeah, say somebody owned the house, owned property, and they built a house on it. They didn't, yeah. they never had a deed for it. And then they try to sell it. They may not tell you, well, there's no deed. So you, you need to know the proper, the uh, This person accurate. was telling us, get a lawyer, yeah. get your own lawyer. Yeah. Well, the biggest issue there, um, and Nick talked about this extensively in his book, which was a big education and help for us because we would not have known, is there's two general kinds of property, urbanization and what's called rustico, rustic. And rustico is illegal or can be illegal. It's property, uh-huh. it was land that somebody just said, oh, look, I'm going to build a house here. And maybe it had been in their family for a long time, but yes, there's no deeds. So if you try to buy a Rustico property, you could get bit down the road. So Mick, for example, only showed us uh, Urbano property, property that he knew was clear that would pass. And when the lawyer you know, checked everything, it was all legal. And she took care of any little discrepancies like square footage that was listed on tax records and that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. I'd say the other thing is um, what uh, you were saying about a lawyer is absolutely essential. And our lawyer is a bulldog, rightly so. She would not let any little thing get by because uh you know, anything that does get by may come back to haunt you later and possibly in a big way. So you absolutely want to make sure every T is crossed, every I is dotted. And if you spend a little bit of money doing this, it's going to be money well spent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you have a house or a condo? We have a house. We bought, I originally thought we wanted another ranch because we liked the privacy and the solitude. And Nick showed us, he said, Ranches in Spain aren't the same as ranches in the U.S. And he showed us a couple and we were like, oh, yeah, these are really working ranches. They're not places that people live and commute to the city to work. And the ranch is just a lot of land. They're working here. So he started showing us houses. But one of the things we discovered and parts of the country in the U.S. are like this. Houses tend to be surrounded by, you know, five or six foot solid wall fences like Mm. brick fences so you get this very big sense of privacy and quiet anyway even though we're surrounded by other houses we could be on a ranch you know you don't hear a lot of noise you don't people aren't looking in your yard and are you in a single story yes okay okay which is rare the spanish people like to build multi-story houses i know i know I I have bad joints. (laughs) So I said, I'm not going to be 80 years old trying to climb stairs. So he showed us one story houses. Okay. Because that's what I would want. I I don't want to have to not only climb, but I don't want a basement to deal with, you know, and and all that nonsense. It's just, it's too much work. As you get older, you don't want to spend, you know, time worrying about these things. Oh, and aside, Jill, and that link I sent you is a one story house. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you know, I looked at some of that. I looked at the prices. I said, wow, this is this is amazing. I mean, there was one house, I think it was three bedrooms on quite a sizable lot. And it was like 286,000. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. 
Actually, yeah. Ladrova, we we looked when we were here on our house hunting trip, we we knew we wanted to be within an hour of Valencia, but we didn't have a particular small town in mind. And so we ended up looking at 20 houses in a dozen different villages. And Ladrova by far is more expensive than most places because it's a in the mountains, it's considered an exclusive community. Oh. So we paid more here than we would have paid in one of the other villages. But nice. we, we, I mean, it's hard to beat this setting. Yeah, yeah. I think the other yeah. thing that's uh, worth keeping in mind is that if you have a price of you know X euros for a house, you will probably add about fifteen percent by the time that taxes are paid mm. and uh, realtors are paid and all the rest of that. And you were talking about the low cost of airlines. How far is the nearest airport from you? Uh, that would be Valencia, which uh, for us is about an hour and 10 minutes. And you can get direct flights back to the States and so forth. Oh. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, Valencia, of course, being a smaller city, it's not a hub. Um, you know, if you're going back to the States, you know, you might uh, end up having a hub in um, Frankfurt or, uh, okay. you know, you know, maybe. Uh, Frankfurt or the UK or Madrid, okay. usually. There are some direct flights out of Valencia, but not as many as, say, Madrid or Barcelona. Okay. So when you go to Bari for your trip, where will you fly out of? Valencia. Oh, okay. So it's an hour hour or so drive. That's not bad. Because they live outside the city. Yeah. 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 And and now I want to go back a second. Do you need a car or is the area walkable where you guys are? Not where we are, because we're the closest stores and everything is, I mean, we have our little village cafe and there is a market, but they don't carry the big bags that are big, big bags of dog food that our dogs <laughs> eat. So we drive down the mountain to Gandia, which is our closest city. So How we far have, is that? it is 15 minutes. That's not bad. Yeah. And it, when yeah. you go to like an equivalent to a Costco or something for those big bag dog food? We actually have a uh, French chain called Carrefour, and uh, Carrefour is, you know, maybe like, you know, one of the big Target supermarkets. It's like a super uh, target. Yeah, where, uh, you know, we've got a good selection of food, but you can buy a television set. You yeah, know. all our small appliances and our TV came from Carrefour. Oh, nice. Okay. And the prices are reasonable? Yeah, are they good. Like this? Okay. 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 And, and you talk about your, your big dogs. Um, is Valencia dog friendly? Do a lot of people have dogs? Very. Very dog friendly. Spain in general is dog friendly. Any cafe that has outdoor seating welcomes dogs. Park is open to people with dogs. There are dog beaches. Oh, wow. No. Okay. Yeah, it is beaches. worth mentioning <laughs> that uh, certain species are considered to be, quote, dangerous, um, you know, pit bulls and things like that. And uh, as such, uh, they have to be muzzled and possibly registered. There was just an article that we saw. Um, the other day uh, where they've passed some new laws in regards to animal protections. Yeah. Um, They just passed some really sweeping new laws to protect animals about, you know, jail and fines and all dogs. I don't know how they're going to enforce it. I love the idea that everyone who wants to get a dog is required to take a short course in proper care and handling of a dog and how that's so smart. Yeah, it's just like when you adopt a child. I mean, it's a family member, right? And yeah, I think that's smart. So, you know, I mean, I may have not wanted to come to Spain because of the bullfighting, but Spain is moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And even bullfighting has been banned in some regions. It's it's banned oh, right? in Barcelona. They turned the bullfighting ring into a shopping mall. Wait, it's oh, banned in Barcelona? Wow. Yeah. When did that yeah. happen? 
Uh, that happened actually several years ago, but oh. it's now in other other cities and regions are trying to follow suit and ban it as well. Oh, I was going to say it's a little bit of a source of controversy because it's, uh, you know, like the states or anything else, you have a community of people that are urban and you have a community of people mm-hmm. that are more rural. And the rural people, you know, they think that bullfighting is a great tradition and, you know, they don't want to get rid of it. And the urban people think it's barbaric. And yeah, so, yeah. In general, bullfighting is primarily still alive because of tourism. Wow. Oh, yeah, because I guess that's what people think. You, know, you see yeah. all that crazy stuff on TV and yeah. oh, and people have kill, been killed. I mean, there's been so many injuries from these, mm-hmm. these sessions. Not to mention okay. the bull. Yeah, not to <laughs> mention oh, the poor bull. Are you guys, how is your Spanish? And do you need to, to know Spanish where you live? We barely knew Spanish when we moved. Um, we have been now working with Duolingo every day for close to five years now. That's not a way to get fluent. So this year, two weeks ago, in fact, we signed up at the official language school and are now actually in a Spanish class. You can get by without Spanish. I have found that the Spanish people are infinitely patient, kind, and helpful when you even make bumbling attempts to speak to them in Spanish. They are so patient and will work with you. So we've never had any bad experiences, but life will be easier when we can be more fluent. And I think it's the polite thing to do. We live here. There's yeah. another couple other considerations, uh, one of which is that a lot of people from the UK have moved further down the coast and those areas are becoming English is you know fairly widely spoken. So if you go, uh, you know, Denia, Alicante, so forth, uh, you're going to get by with English better than you may in uh, Gandia or Valentia. One of the things about language is that in Europe, you have got, uh, I don't know, 56 countries or something like that with, uh, you know, probably 80 different languages and people become very tolerant right. of other people who don't speak their language well. Ah. Sure, sure. And and for the most part, there's so many countries that English is spoken or taught. I know I know in Asia, you know, you have to, it's, it's the required second language, right? So yeah. you, in order to travel or do business more than anything, you, you really need to know that other, the English. Sure. So I'll tell helpful. you a little story, and this might be too long for your show, but I'm, I'll tell it and no, you please. can decide later. Our first week here, we went to the local cafe and they always, when they, when you order your drinks, they always bring a little tapa, some little snack out to your table. And she brought a bowl of peanuts. Uh, using one of my handy dandy phrases, I pointed at the bowl and it was like, como se dice? How do you say? Yeah. And he pointed and she goes, cacahuetes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she repeated it, cacahuetes. And we went over this two or three times and she finally said it slow and I'm trying to repeat it. And I finally got it right. Cacahuetes, peanuts. And wow. she, when I finally said it right, she goes, muy bueno. And then oh. she, turns Eric, she turns to Eric and she goes, now you. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> and she made him repeat the word as well. And it was just, it was fun uh, and yeah. funny. And we had a great time. Yeah, I and love that. The reason uh, that uh, peanuts are called what they're called is because uh, they came from South America for the word originated. <laughs> it's probably an Aztec word or something. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. How do you say it again? Cacahuete. Cacahuetes. So it sounds very Aztec. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, let me ask you, how's the weather where you are year-round? How would you describe it? Generally, 
It is uh, very good, but when it rains, it pours. Oh, uh, okay. Our mountains, our mountain, because we're in the mountains, it, they generate weather. So we can get massive downpours up here in the mountains. Um, Actually, the whole region. Well, the whole region, because then it all goes downhill. Mm. But it's been... For us, it's been in the upper 50s, lower 60s at night with, say, mid-upper 70s during the day. So it's really an ideal fall temperature. Beautiful. In the middle of uh, summer, um, a hotter day would probably be in the mid-90s. In the middle of winter, when the sun is first coming up, it might be 38 or something like that. Okay. Okay. Now, it's worth noting, we are in the mountains. We're at 300 uh, 300 meters, figure a thousand feet. So about a thousand feet above. And we are generally two or three Celsius, which is a lot more in Fahrenheit, cooler up here than down in the beach communities. All right. Ah. But you do need air conditioning, I guess, uh, for a short period of time. You said when it's in the 90s or so. Well, um, yeah. Um, one of the things I did is I uh, put solar panels up in our house, you know, so our air conditioning is essentially oh, great. free. And uh, we've got these splits all around the place and we just turn them on as needed. You know, we spend a little bit more on our electric bill, but we're comfortable. I agree. Okay. I'm going to go over to sports for a second. Valencia seems to have um, uh, a lot of sports teams. They have uh, two soccer teams in La Liga. They have a basketball team, rugby team. They also seem to have two American football teams. Do you know anything about that? Is is that popular there? American football? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, okay. The only thing that people really go nuts about in uh, Spain and basically all of Europe and possibly the, uh, you know, the entire world mm-hmm. is what they call football, which is, you know, sure. soccer. Of course. Sure. And uh, Valencia and Madrid have got two of the uh, top teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the locals here uh, are just as passionate about their uh, soccer players That's as, you know, a football team is uh, back in the States. Yeah. Football. <laughs> yes, yes. football. Yeah. Have you been or you're not into that? I'm not really too much of a uh, sports spectator. I'd rather do things myself, although I have been to some of the uh, motorsports events. Um, you know, we've got in Valencia one of the uh, World uh, Motorcycle Grand Prix uh, GP, you know, races. Wow. And there's actually three or four of them in Spain. When we came here the first time uh, when we were doing our house hunting trip, they had American style NASCAR on the road racing course. So that was kind wow. of fun. That's, funny. That's so cool. And then Janet, let me ask you, um, I heard you have a kiln, so I assume you have a potter's wheel. Well, it's all ceramics, but I don't right. throw, which is okay. what okay. I, okay. I do hand building. So what I have instead of a wheel, it's like a giant lasagna noodle machine. <laughs> I roll out big flat slabs of clay and then I right. build things with from that. Okay. And do you... Are there courses nearby that you could take? I mean, I, I want to move towards like that area outside of your own um, activities, which both of you are, have full, full in your lives. Um, what about in, in the area? Can people take courses? Um, types of social activities exist? Well, as far as ceramics go, uh, Manises, which is a suburb of Valencia, is one of the seats of pottery and ceramics in Spain. And there are, it's where I buy my supplies. They have a ceramics museum there. And yes, they have, they have what's called AVEC. And I can't say it in Spanish, but it is essentially the ceramicist guild. And they have a big facility. They teach classes. 
Um, they have a big gallery where if you're a member of the guild, you can sell your products in the gallery. Nice. So there are a lot of ways to be involved. I'm not fluent enough in Spanish to take any classes up there. That is actually one of my goals. Yeah. Now, did you buy the kiln in Spain or did you move it? I had to, uh, because not only is the power different here, but the Hertz frequency is ah, as well. And okay. my kiln did not work here. Got I had two back in Texas, and so I had to buy one here. Let's talk a bit about downsizing. You know, oh. you hear these things about <laughs> the Texan homes being big, and and uh, was was yours one of those and full of stuff? And how did you t- tell us about that process? Because that fascinates me. <laughs> oh my God. We had a normal size house, although we were downsizing here housewise. We also what's normal size in Texas? Um, it was about 2,600 feet okay. square feet. Okay. Our problem was we had bought an old church retreat, and there was another building that had once upon a time been the sanctuary building. Two, it was t- another 2,500 square feet. And two thirds of that was full of Eric's motorcycles and tools and hobbies. (gasps) And one third of that, a thousand square feet, was my pottery studio and a huge bamboo walled tiki bar. And everything (laughs) everything was full to the gill. Plus, we had all the ranch stuff. We had tractor, riding mower, you know, all the things you think about. So it was a huge undertaking. What we ended up doing, and I absolutely recommend it for anybody that is thinking of making a major move like this, we got an estate sale company. Yes, yes, I thought you were going to We went around with sticky notes, and we put sticky notes on the things that we knew we wanted to bring with us, and we told the estate sale company, everything else is yours. The day we moved, we handed them the house keys, and the realtor was going to deal with, because they were having the sale after we left, the realtor was going to deal with that part, and we walked away. Wow. So no, no emotional attachment to things, huh? Oh, I had boxes and boxes of keepsakes, some stuff that I'd had since I was a baby. And this is something else I recommend to people. And I actually have a friend that's struggling with this right now. Sit down, handle every single piece, take a photo, put it back in the box and never look at it again. I don't want to know what the estate sale people did with those boxes. I never asked. They may have thrown them away. They may have you know, sold them for here, five bucks full of craft stuff. I don't want to know. Mm. But I have all my photos and it didn't take up space in the cargo container to get the photos here. When one moves, even though obviously you're not going to take the tractors and, and things like that, how many suitcases did you have or, or did you ship boxes? They had a, they had a shipping container. Oh, the shipping container. That's right. Well, the shipping container, I think quality of life is very important when you move to a new place. You can buy a new hair dryer, whatever. Right, right. But they're just things. Yeah. Right. So Eric brought his motorcycle and his big rolling toolbox and things like that. I brought oh, nice. the contents of my pottery studio, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all my tools, um, all my glazes. And so that way we had we had lifestyle things starting out here. So that's really what was in the cargo container was that and clothes and artwork and a few pieces of art. We left a lot of art behind, but a few pieces of art. Our TV and our stereo. Yeah, we did bring the TV because it was. <laughs> you brought the TV? Well, it was EU compatible. Ah. So, and oh. we knew we hadn't brought it. Okay. Okay. One of the things about television is, of course, uh, you know, the broadcast stuff is all in Spanish, which we're not quick enough to, um, you know. Oh, must be catch. so fast. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> It's uh, 
most of everything that we tend to watch is internet based anyway. So you got, you know, Netflix, uh, you know, HBO, Amazon Prime, uh, YouTube, right. just that weather. And the nice thing about those is that they're essentially international. In terms of the technology, you don't have to worry about, you know, a PAL versus NTSC, mm-hmm. you know, broadcast type thing. It's just, you know, a feed that comes in from the router into the TV. So, right. so when you moved, you didn't get a storage unit? Uh, no, we no. did not. No storage unit. Uh, and- I, someone gave me the advice if you're going to put it in a storage unit and not see it for another year or two, why keep it at all? Yeah. Right. Good advice. Yeah. yeah. Eric, you, you only brought one. You only brought one motorcycle. You sold the rest. Well, you know, um, the parts I, you must add? at that point in my life, I had a street bike and a race bike ah. and the uh, race bike. Uh, nobody was making me any offers on and I'd had <laughs> for a long time and put a lot of effort and money into it. And I wasn't going to give it away. So it came with me, even though it's been parked ever since. <laughs> um, yeah. Also had, uh, you know, some other various projects. I had a, uh, Pontiac Fura with a 400-inch Chevy uh, V8 I'd put into it. Wow. Airplane I was building, another airplane that I owned. You know, I, I liked my toys, and uh, I've definitely downsized on my toys. The only thing I really regret is that I didn't bring my scuba gear, which I hadn't been diving for a while, but oh. now we're on the Mediterranean. Oh. Uh. Yeah. So you left your Fiero back in the States? Yeah. 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 And no one wanted that? I'm sure on eBay that would have gone <laughs> No, it went, it went in the estate sale. It yeah. was part of the wow. estate sale. Wow. Oh, I wish I went to that estate sale. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're trying to downsize too. Every week we've been making a trip to Salvation Army and it feels good. You know, the less you own, the less you have to worry about, to care for. And life is uh, is simpler, you know, and you can enjoy, like you said, the things you want to enjoy. On Saturday, if you don't get the Salvation on time, they have a sign outside that says full. Come back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think during during COVID, a lot of people yeah. went through this and, you know, just kind of taking stock of what you have and what you really need to survive. And so all of these, um, the goodwills and, and so forth have been bombarded. I mean, it, it's good and bad, right? I mean, it, it's going to help people who need it. And hopefully um, it is going to the right places or making it resourceful for folks who really need it. One thing that... Uh... I think we need to bear in mind is that as Americans, we have a very consumer-based lifestyle. Mindset, yeah. Somewhere along the line, I came to the conclusion that when you got enough stuff, at some point you stop owning your stuff and your stuff starts owning you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I was a collector. I had, because I had a tiki bar, <laughs> I, had I had over a hundred tiki mugs of various, <gasps> various events. And I had 150 unique individual martini glasses. No two were alike. <laughs> and these are the kind of things it's easy. Once you get two or three, it becomes a collection and now you're stuck. Yeah. You have to keep adding. I promised myself when we moved here, no more collecting. The only things we buy on our trips, if we see a very unique piece of art, a small figurine or something, we might get that. The only thing we really collect is a refrigerator magnet and that's it. Oh, so, well, that's not bad. At least it's going yeah. on one, you know. Right. Okay. I, okay. I, I said, I don't want to be, especially because we have no kids, mm-hmm. what's going to happen to all this anyway? So I, <laughs> I don't want collections anymore. They're a burden. And something else when we're talking about uh, what you bring and what you don't, uh, this is more for Janet than myself. 
European style is different than American style. If you bring all your American clothes, you're always going to look a little bit out of place. Yeah, I, I would. Oh. If I had it to do over again, I would not bring all the clothes. I would bring enough clothes to tide me over for a couple months, and I would buy here because the styles, the fabrics, the prints, the fit is all just different enough that I always look like a tourist. That's so oh, interesting. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, because there is so much European influence. Um, well, in the younger generation, there are these stores now, you know, um, Zara, I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. of. That's a Spain, right? Uh, H&M. Their clothing is so international. I, or maybe the U.S. is heavily influenced by by some of this, but their, their um, inventory is changed so quickly. You know, it's all about mass buying and cheap quality and what have you. Um, that I I didn't even think that there would be that much of a, a noticeable difference in in clothing. I but, was, but more is it more for women than men though? I think men yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. get away with anything. Do, I bought a lot from JC because it fits that their products mm-hmm, fit me mm-hmm, well. Right. They really stood out. Brighter colors and different kinds of fit and more polyester-based fabrics or blends with polyester in them. And that's just not really a European thing. Oh, right. They do use like more cotton, right? The 100%. Cotton linen, much more natural. It might have a little polyester in it to keep it from wrinkling, but Mm -hmm, it never mm -hmm. looks polyester. That's so nice. So really good. So when you realize that, did you go out and buy new clothes in Spain? I did. Well, also, because I got well, I started gaining weight. I mean, I I had dropped that 50 pounds. Uh, So when I started gaining some weight, I had to go buy clothes anyway. Oh, that's a good excuse. Good excuse, Jean. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. I think we've covered a lot, right? I think we've covered all the the high points that we wanted to. You guys have been wonderful. Um, Any words of advice for people wishing to, you know, uh, emulate your journey. I I do have one that we didn't t- touch on at all, and that's pets. Okay, we were bringing all four of our dogs. You're limited. The dogs were going in cargo, and we yeah. hired a pet transport company to deal with that. That's a, a very smart way to do it. Okay, because they know customs. They have more access to get the the pets in and out of cargo areas than we would. So the dogs had more personal care than we could have given them. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to have EU certified microchips, which means they're nine digit chips. They okay. have to have rabies shots and medical certificates signed by a vet. We did the paperwork with our vet and then the transport company did everything else door to door. They picked them up at the ranch. They delivered them to our house here in Valencia. Wow. wow. Well taken uh, care of. Yeah. Yeah. Cats are a little different. Usually you can take your cat in coach or in the uh, cabin with you, but you're only allowed one cat per person. So we had 10 cats. It's a ranch. You had 10 cats? (laughs) It's a ranch. And cats just show up. A new new cat showed up. You moved 10 cats to Europe? No. no. We were only allowed to take one cat each. Right, right, right. uh, We knew we had to make two trips. Because of visas and whatnot. So we knew we could bring four cats. We picked two that were going to initially come with us, one at each of our feet in a soft carrier. They have to be able to go under the seat 
in front of you. So it has to be a small stock wow. carrier. And then when we flew back a month later to deal with some paperwork, we were going to pick up two others that friends had kept, but the friends wanted to keep them. That's something people need to know. They have to be microchipped. They have to have health certificates. And and it's a long and arduous trip for an animal. Yeah. Um, pet transport is a really good idea. Yeah. If I was to say any last words or advice, the people that see the Americans that seem to make it here are people who have a sense of adventure, who are open-minded and willing to, uh, you know, put up with new challenges. Um, we've had some people that have come here and it, you know, hasn't really worked out for us, for them, but uh, the people that seem to thrive here are the ones that are willing to say, oh yeah, let's hop in the car and uh, drive up to uh, Germany and, you know, yeah. see some markets or something. You have um, to be able to adapt to what the Spanish would call tranquilo. It's just mm, trying, just yes. don't let the slower pace of life get you. Don't let the right. afternoon fiesta when you can't go to the store at 2.30 in the afternoon bother you. If you can let go of all of that mindset of I want it now, I want it this way, and just say, you know, it'll happen. It will, it'll be okay. You'll be a happy person and fit in really well here. There's a concept here called sobremesa, and it has to do with dining. In the U.S., if you go to the now here, the main meal is generally lunch, but let's just call it let's just call it dinner. You go to dinner in the U.S., you have your table for a certain amount of time because somebody else is waiting to get your table and the waitstaff wants their tips. In Spain, sobremesa, that's your table. You want to sit there for six hours? It's your table. Oh, that's they so great. They want to enjoy your meal. They want you to relax and spend time with your friends. That's what it's all about. It's not about eat, get out. I need my next tips. Wait, oh. stuff here doesn't generally get tips. You might leave a euro or two, but they don't oh. depend on tips. They're paid a living wage. Right. So. Right. That's great. That kind yeah. of mindset, that's just one little nutshell example of the of the mindset difference between the US and Spain is the difference between you have your 45 minutes because there's another reservation versus sobre mesa. It's yours. Right, right. right. When the wait staff stands by you and you feel so pressured <laughs> to leave, I can't stand that. <laughs> Right. They will not come to you. You have to ask for the bill when you're finally ready for it. They mm -hmm. will never bring it to you. That's so great. Yeah. Okay. On that note, is it time for a meal, Jean? I think so. I got to tell you, I like the idea, really like the idea of eating earlier. It's healthier. You know, you have those hours to let it digest, metabolize. And okay. Well, thank you guys. Oh my God. This is so nice. What a pleasure. It's, hey, you're you wonderful. Are so, thank you. So nice and informative. This was such a fruitful discussion. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Hope we stay in touch. Anything else, Jean? I just have a quick question. What are the name of your books? <laughs> um, Let me grab them. Double Trouble is the first one. Uh, it's a private investigator mystery. And the second Ooh. one was Udder, like cow, Udder Confusion. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then my dystopian is called Virgilante. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like oh, thanks. Oh, yeah, no, I have a very good professional cover artist. And I am, and we didn't talk about it. I was invited by Medium two weeks ago to become a contributing writer on Medium. I have published two articles. Another one comes out tomorrow. 
Um, I'm going to be publishing an article every Sunday, and they are all focused on our move to Spain, our adventures in getting here, and our adventures now that we are here. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that's right. And we did talk about that in the pre-show and I and I apologize. Yeah, I love Medium and their articles are very informative and they're short. I mean, I mean, they're a short read. You're not going to spend an hour and you get so much out of it. Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm having a ball sharing our adventures and I'm hoping that they're informative. Like one whole article is just about our visa, getting the visa. Oh, that's and good. There's another whole article about what we talked about, selling everything and physically getting over here. So I'm hoping that they are also informative for people that are thinking along the same lines. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. And have a great week. This doesn't have to do with the show, but if you guys ever want to come over here and look at property, we'll give you a grand tour. <laughs> oh, we <laughs> are there. I mean, I want the tranquility and I, I I just I just want all that and I need it now. I can't think I cannot think of a better place to live. I really can't. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we hit the sweet spot. So you all have no regrets. No, no. I miss Tex-Mex. I miss my <laughs> but other than that, no, not a regret. <laughs> okay, your next trip, you know, back to the States, you can always get as much as you want. <laughs> I have no desire to go back. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. All right. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. You okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.